Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, there once was a sorcerer. This sorcerer, well, he fell in disfavor with the king, and and he sentenced him to death. And on the day of his scheduled execution, the sorcerer told the king that, all right, king, if you allow me to live for one more year, I will make you world famous. And he guaranteed that within one year, he could make the king's horse talk. It would give him worldwide fame. He would, everyone would be like, wow, you have an, a, a talking horse? That's amazing. And, and if I fail, O oh king, then you can kill me next year, and I have no objection to that at all. Well, the king agreed to this, and the sorcerer was spared for one year, and he was placed in the palace dungeon and given access to the horse. And Well, there was a duke in the kingdom as well, and he was a friend of the sorcerer, and he sneaked into the dungeon, and he said, you, you are indeed a fool. I know, and you know, there is no way you have the power to make that king's talk. You have no hopes of success. You're going to die next year. The sorcerer replied, Ah, but I have one more year to live, which I didn't have yesterday. Many things can happen in a year. Perhaps the king will die, or maybe I will die, or maybe I'll even teach a horse to talk. Regardless, I still have one more year. Well, we've come to the end of a year, and now we're at the outset of another What is going to happen this year? What's before us? What's going to transpire? We don't know. There's all kinds of plans we've made. There's all kinds of things that have happened. But we look at this last year, lots of things happened that we didn't expect. Some of them great and wonderful. Some of them hard and difficult and, and unthinkable even. What is going to be? We don't know. One of the things that we do know, and one of the things that we come to again and again, and the reason why we come here is, We know that God is, that God exists, and we can rely and depend on Him always. And one of the things that comes through again and again as we read the Bible, as we read the Scriptures, is the awesome presence of God. God is, and God has shown and demonstrated His love for us. And there's all kinds of ways that's that's expressed in that, but one of the beautiful ways is through the Psalms. And last year we spent uh, several weeks in the Psalms in the in the early part of the spring, and and considering the message, some of them are are great messages of of God's goodness and His greatness and His His kingship. Others are are laments of the difficult and hard things that are going on. And in the mix of all of that. There's heartfelt expressions calling out to God for help, for thankfulness, for understanding of who He is. And when the Psalms end, the last five Psalms, they are called the Hallelujah Psalms. You're probably familiar with the phrase Hallelujah. It's in lots of songs. There's a whole chorus called the Hallelujah Chorus. And it's strong and powerful. And the word Hallelujah means Praise to Yahweh, or as we generally say, praise the Lord. 
Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. God identifies as his, his own, and, and, and it comes up again and again in the scriptures. But every time in our English scriptures, when we see the word Yahweh, it is merely spelled L-O-R-D, Lord. Capital letters, all of them, indicating this is that word, but we don't say that word. The Jews would never say the name of God because so sacred and holy it was. And so when the word Yahweh would come up, they would instead say Adonai, which means Lord. They knew what it meant and all that, but they would say that to not say that word. And so that is the convention. So praise the Lord. Again, as it comes at the end of the Psalms, begins each of these last five, 146 through 150. Hallelujah. Hallel, praise. Yah, the short and firm of Yahweh. Praise the Lord. And in Psalm 150, the last of the Psalms, there's this beautiful beautiful expression of, of coming before God and this culmination of all the things that were said about God and the laments and the concerns, but also the praises find their expression now in this. Uh, if you have your Bibles, or uh, it'll be on the screen, Psalm 150. It goes this way. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thirteen times that word praise is used in this context to, to direct us. And, and this psalm begins by praising the God who is heaven, the God who is in his sanctuary. And, and as we talk about this, we're, we're talking about his placement, where he is in our understanding, that God is the one who is in control, that, that it is this regal perspective. God is the king. He is high and ruling over all. And so as we consider him, our hearts are lifted up towards him giving him the praise he deserves. As it moves into verse 2, it begins talking about his acts of power and his greatness. And the scriptures are, are filled with stories of God's acts of power. Uh, people crying out to them in the book of Judges, there is this constant back and forth, this recurring theme of, of the people honoring God and then failing to honor God. And when they fail to honor God, uh, bad things happen to them. Other countries overrun them. And they're like, oh, we're not honoring the Lord. And so they cry out to the Lord for, for relief. And he brings them a judge that helps bring them relief from their troubles. And again and again, when he call, when they cry out to him, he responds and, and gives them demonstration of his, of his power. When the people are oppressed in Egypt... And they cry after having been enslaved, after having moved there under the, the, the reign of Joseph as the second underneath the Pharaoh. The slavery comes and they cry out to the Lord and the Lord hears and he brings Moses into their midst and, and uses Moses' leadership to save them and to rescue them. And in the wilderness indicates to them they are a special people to him. We also see it in 
in, in Elijah. If you recall the story of Elijah, many of them, but, but at some point there is a battle for power in the land of Israel. Who is the God that we're going to follow? Is it going to be Baal or is it going to be Yahweh? Who will we follow? And there was many prophets of Baal and, and the king Ahab and his wife Jezebel were all about Baal. But Elijah stands firm and says, Yahweh is king of gods. He is better. He is the one that can be relied on. And I challenge you, prophets of Baal, to a contest. And the contest is an altar. Each one sets up an altar and they build it and, and they put an oxen on it. And, and all they need to do is burn up the, the sacrifice. Baal is the god of storms. It should be pretty easy for the god of storms to come up with a spare lightning bolt or two to take care of this. And so the prophets of Baal, they are praying and praying and, and uh, cutting themselves even. And they're just frenzied. And at some point, Elijah, well, he gets a little bit obnoxious with them. And he says, well, where's your god? Maybe he's, maybe he's relieving himself. I don't know. Where is he? And then Elijah prays to Yahweh and he says, Lord, listen today. Reveal yourself. Answer us. And he calls forth and fire comes from heaven. Lightning bolt comes. Elijah had set up his, his, his altar and he, before he prays this, he poured water all over and it put a little moat around it so the water would stay in there and as he prays and this fire comes from heaven everything is licked up and burned up at this demonstration of God's power God's power also revealed in Jesus and his life from a virgin the miracles he performed while he was here on earth and then most of all his resurrection and so as Psalm 150 comes here and says, we praise you for your acts of power, for your greatness, because indeed you are great. Great is not a, a word that is to be taken lightly. We often use great and awesome in very trivial ways. Uh, there's a silly kid song, everything is awesome. You know, if everything's awesome, then it's awesome. Awesome means so much more. It means God. And we praise the Lord because of that. And, and after that, in verses 3 to 5, it, uh, we have this sense of putting a band together to worship God. And, and uh, the band apparently is complete with a trumpet section, which, of course, uh, I appreciate in particular. Uh, but uh, the trumpet here is, is not like Lee and mine, uh, brass with a mouthpiece. Uh, the word is shofar, and it is, it is, has, it's a horn. And and it's, it's really not as melodic. It can't make different notes as much as a, a horn with valve can. But the horn was used in particular reasons. Often to, to set people to alertness that something was to happen. Joshua has trumpets as they are marching around Jericho. And, and when, when people are going into battle, the, the horn is, is played to let people the soldiers themselves, as well as the enemy, knowing this is coming. It's an alertness to the presence of God. And so this, this direction, kind of like a siren. When you hear a siren, our, 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 our emergency vehicles, as they come, they let us know something's happening. Get off the road. Get onto the side because we're coming through. We have an emergency. This, 
this horn as an indicator. Something is going to happen here. And, and so as this band gets together, this horn blows and, and God's presence and work is declared. And then there's the harp and lyre. Harp and lyre, uh, when, uh, when uh, one of my commentators, as I was reading through this, he, uh, he, uh, his translation of harp and lyres was guitars and bass, which is uh, a little bit modern perspective, but the, the harp and the lyre would have been used in the temple, often by the Levites, and, and they would be giving music that would be there to worship, to set people in this mood of worshiping, praising the Lord, and, and that, that's certainly that indicator here that, that we're lifting up the Lord. And um, uh, it also has, there's this story when, when David is, is uh, before he becomes king, I and mean, he's gifted with, the, with, with a harp and, and he's playing before Saul, and it had a curative effect. Saul was often beset by an evil spirit, and when David would play this, this would soothe him and have this curing effect to him. But each of these gathered together in this, this praising the Lord and lifting him up, and, and then finally here, the, the, with dancing and tambourines. You know, we're, we're evangelicals here. This is not something that we often see in our services, uh, jumping around and dancing with, uh, with tambourines. It's, we're a little bit more reserved for that. But there's something about this expression which is rich and vital. And it's a reminder that, that worshiping God is not something that we do just with our thoughts, but it's with all of us. It's our physical lives, our emotions, as well as our spirits to lift the Lord up. When I was in university, when I was at Marquette University, uh, my junior year, I, I committed to the university group, and and uh, one of the things about that particular group that year was all the executive committee were women, which is fine, but it just had a couple of ways that it got lived out in their in their large group sessions, and one of them was, well, I would say, a particularly feminine bent on how we worship and gather and, and do things. And one of the days, uh, the large group meetings, they brought in this woman to teach us how to praise the Lord through dance. Well, the, the dynamics or the, 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 the numbers of people there that day, there was 26 college women and three college men there. All three of us wondering, why did I come to this today? Because as she began telling us, praise the Lord like a flower lifting up. I'm like, Oh, Lord, please help me. What am I doing? Let no one see me doing this. <laughs> My reservations to this were, were pretty stark. And, and yet one of the things about dancing and, and, and tambourines and jumping is great expressions of worship before God. David, when, when the Ark of the Covenant was coming into Jerusalem, after having been gone, after having been stolen, and then stored somewhere else, he leaps and danced before the Lord. There is this sense of abandon and fully giving ourselves to worship the Lord. That's a call for us. How do we live out fully our expressions of love and praise for our God? Is it something that's visible in our lives? And then the last verse brings us to all creation, that all creation, everything that has breath, praise the Lord, animals and people and all kinds of things. There's this wonderful 
phrase in when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and uh, right before his resurrection and and people are are putting palms before him and and laying down cloaks and and people are saying hallelujah and praise the lord and and all there's all this great fervor and 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 some of the teachers of the law say to Jesus hey tell your people to stop that's not okay and Jesus says if they were not to do it even the rocks would cry out that this is what happened the lord will be praised and given glory. And that's what this call is. And as we identify and connect with this, it is a call for us to praise our Lord wholeheartedly with all that we do. It's important for us. It's exceptionally important for us. How do we live this really out? Sword Kierkegaard has a a story about worship. As many of his stories do, it's uh, it's stories told in an illustrative manner surrounding geese. And he writes this. Imagine that geese could talk. And that they had planned things in such a way that they too had their divine worship services. Every Sunday they gathered and a goose preached. The gist, the gist of the sermon was as follows. What a high destiny geese have. To what a high goal the Creator And every time this word was mentioned, the geese curtsied and the ganders bowed their heads. What a high goal the Creator had appointed geese. With the help of their wings, they could fly away to distant regions, blessed regions where they really had their homes. For here, they were but alien sojourners. And it was this way every Sunday. Afterwards, the assembly dispersed and each one waddled home to his family. And so to church again next Sunday, and then home again, and that was the end of it. They flourished and became fat. They became plump and delicate and and were eaten on St. Martin's Eve. And that was the end of it. Uh, Yes, that was the end of it. Uh, Although the Sunday discourse was so lofty, on Monday, the geese would discuss with each other what had happened to the goose who actually wanted to use his wings according to the high goal set before it. What happened to it? What horrors it had to endure? Of course, the geese would not talk about it on Sunday. After all, that was not appropriate. Such talk would make a fool of God and of themselves. But still, there were a few individual geese among them who looked poorly and grew thin. The other geese said among themselves, There! You see what happens when you take seriously this idea, this business of wanting to fly. Because they harbor the ideas of wanting to fly, they get thin and they do not prosper. They do not have God's grace as we have it. And have become fat and delicate and plump. For by the grace of God, one becomes plump, fat, and delicate. And then he turns the tables on us here and says, so it is with our Christian worship services. We too have wings. We have imagination intended to help us actually rise aloft. But we play. Allow our imagination to amuse itself in an hour of Sunday daydreaming. In reality, however, we stay right where we are. And on Monday, regarded as proof that God's grace gets us plump, fat, and delicate. That is, we accumulate money, get to be a somebody in the world, beget children, become successful, and so forth. And those who actually get involved with God and who therefore suffer and have torments, troubles, and grief. Of these, we say, 
Here is proof that they do not have the grace of God. As I reflect on this story and, and on our, our psalm here, this idea of taking God seriously, of praising Him wholeheartedly so much so that it becomes an essential factor in our lives to do it with gusto, fully, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, giving Him praise. What I wanted to do at the end of the service here was to sing three more songs. Songs that direct us to praise, to praise our God. One of them more contemporary called Indescribable. And then another known so well, Holy, Holy, Holy. And then ending in the doxology. Would you stand with me as we sing these? Hallelujah. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.